so appreciate our praise team and the true worship that they lead us in every Sunday. And if you've uh, been to other churches or whatever that aren't as blessed as we are, you come back appreciating that so much. Sometimes you, you begin to feel like someone doesn't want us to have worship this morning when you have a morning like like some of us had. So if your morning didn't go the way you planned it, uh, just welcome to humanity, I guess. But uh, anyway, it's been an interesting morning, but it's it's been a delight um, just to, to be here and be with God's people. Um, I was reminded again on Friday night that sometimes, uh, apparently, when I pray or I'm saying something I, I believe in, I tend to talk too fast. And um, I, it, so if you're an app designer, um, I, I challenge you to, to create an app that is a speakometer, and it will just tell you how fast you're talking, and that way I can kind of glance down at it and slow down if I need to, because uh, the Word of God is too important to rush through. However, I will share with you, I, uh, when we last were in First Peter, where we're going to pick up again today, so if you have your Bibles, open them to First Peter. We're going to begin with verse 14. Um, we had approximately uh, 22 pages of notes, and I think I got through seven, um, and we covered two words. And so um, my temptation is to talk faster. And so I'm going to try to resist that, that urge this morning. And so we are going to pick up where we left off in First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin again with verse 14 where Peter has written to them that they are to be holy for God is holy. We've talked about that. And then he says, as obedient children, and that is about as far as we got last time, um, he says, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We're going to stop there for now. If we get further, we'll read on. But for now, we'll, we will stop there. And we talked last week about, or I, I'm sorry, the week before. Uh, last week we had communion, and so we talked about uh, the resurrection. We talked about second coming. We talked about things regarding holy communion. So we're back in First Peter today. And last time we discussed this verse, we talked about the fact that we are His children. And that our number one job, like all children, is to do one thing. Hopefully somebody remembers something from this one. What is the one thing? Obey. That's right. That is your child's only job, just to obey. Simply because they are your child and you are their parent. They need no other reason. You owe them no other reason other than that. In fact, I think it's very healthy. And we're missing that in our day and age to tell a child, do this because I said so. And just don't give them any other reason, because that's enough. And the reason that's good for them is because it trains them as adults to do what God says, because God said so. Because a lot of times in this world, you're going to hear a lot of, of, of reasons why you shouldn't do what God says. And there are times when the only thing you can come back to is the Word of God and say, well, God said this. I can't explain to you why, because His ways are not my ways. He is above us, farther than the heavens and the earth. So I can't explain to you why, but God has clearly said this. And that is enough, and by right it ought to be. The relationship between child and father 
indicates that the father has the, uh, the authority to prescribe behavior at his own will. He has the right to prescribe your behavior and my behavior. And so we come to this where Peter says, as obedient children. Now that implies that he is our father. And he, he tells them, do not be conformed to the passions and lust which were yours in your ignorance. Now this phrase and others as we go through this book might look a little bit familiar to you. The idea of not being conformed to this world and some other places. You, you think, I've heard that before and I haven't spent a lot of time in First Peter or Second Peter. So where have we heard this phrase before? This idea of do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where have you heard that before? That is in Romans. Now wait, say, well, Peter didn't write Romans. Good for you. Okay, Paul wrote Romans. And you think, why is it that uh, Peter sounds so much like Paul? You see it again in 2.1. When Peter will say to them, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. You know what that sounds like? Colossians, where Paul gives almost an identical list and he says, you put these things off. You think, what is the, what is the deal? You know, there's much ado right now in all the pastor blogs that, that I'm privy to be to. And you get articles on ministry and articles on different things going on within the church context and the ecumenical world. And there's a lot of to do right now about the gross sin, as it's couched to be in many circles, of, of using someone else's sermon. Because apparently a lot of pastors will, will just go and download a sermon, somebody else's outline, somebody's sermon, and, and you would not believe the condemnation that has drawn. And I'm saying the not, not, might, not, might not be in bad company. The reason, now I'm not defending if, if pastors that just download a sermon on Saturday night and just preach it as though it's own. Here's the criteria. If that sermon hasn't penetrated your heart, if that sermon hasn't penetrated your life and become part of who you are, you ought not be preaching it. If you haven't wrestled with the text, if you haven't wrestled with the outline, you ought not be preaching it. But if the outline is sound and it's a good way to approach it and it's memorable and quality stuff, then you know what? Preach it. Because it is God's word. The reason that Peter sounds a lot like Paul is because the truth is the truth regardless of who says it. In some way, there's, sometimes there's just a great way to say it. And so somebody else might pick up on that. When I was meeting with Dr. Dutille once a month or so, when I first came here, we were talking about preaching and I told him my struggle, Dr. Teal, is, is week after week after week coming up with something new and something that I haven't said before or preached before in some way. And, and as only Dr. Teal can say it, he just said, William, don't be cute. He said, don't think you're going to come up with something in 2,000 years of history we all, haven't all heard before. He said, you just preach the word. Don't try to be original. And I, I've really taken that to heart because the truth is the truth. I had a chance one time to meet Alistair Begg, who's an awesome pastor and preacher. He's on the radio. Alistair Begg has a little bit of an unfair advantage because he's Scottish. 
And Scottish people can say things that you and I can say that will sound plain and ordinary. And yes, we know that it sounds almost redundant when you say Christ loves you. But when he says it, no, Christ loves you. You're like, oh, that's so deep. But I had a chance to meet him at the Expositors Conference in Louisville. And I, and I confessed to him. I shook his hand and I said, uh, Mr. Bragg, I, I just want to tell you, uh, I've, I've, I've just stolen some of your sermons. <laughs> he has this great big smile for such a small person. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he says, that's all right. I stole them from somebody before you. <laughs> so I felt instantly better. Well, if you're curious as to why sometimes Peter sounds like Paul, the first answer is obvious because it's the truth. But turn real very quickly. Let's turn over to 2 Peter for just a second. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. This is what Peter writes to these folks. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. For also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of scriptures to their own destruction." You know what Peter's saying? He's read the letters of Paul. He has been influenced by the letters of Paul. Dare I say, he takes a little bit from Paul when he tells them, do not be conformed to your former lusts that were yours in your ignorance. You know where he got that idea? He got that from Paul. He's read Romans. And the reason I, I think specifically he's read Romans and possibly the Corinthian letters, if not others, is because he says this. And if, if you're a believer that, that has just put your mind to the hard work of going through Romans straight through it, Peter says something that probably makes you feel a little better. He says, in which some things are difficult to understand. Now, here's the Apostle Peter saying of Paul's letters, I read them and they are hard to understand. Paul spoke with such insight and wisdom of the mysteries of the universe and of eternity that even Peter, as he read Paul's writings, was like, Paul, wow, you, I, I got to go back. I got to go back and start over. So Peter read Paul. He knew Paul. He was influenced by Paul. So he, he, he took from Paul. And so if I, if I have a sermon that you think, somebody, you know, that's the same five P words that Dr. Jimmy Draper came up with back in the day. Well, nobody can come up with words the way he used to do that. I don't know if you've ever listened to him on the radio. He's passed now. A great preacher. And he used to, all his sermons would start with the same letter. All his points in his sermons. Yet it made sense. And so occasionally, well, that's, that's a good way to approach that. So I, I, I don't make any apologies for it, but I will say this. I'm not the only one, and I'm in good company. We are influenced by one another. And when you hear the truth, sometimes somebody says it just so well that you think, I'll, I'll, I'll use that. So, Peter's read Romans. He struggles with it like we do. But he was influenced by it. So he tells them, don't be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours. 
And this is the point we want to make this morning. Being conformed, he says, to your former lust, which were yours. We live in day and age, I'm afraid, where, where when people come to Christ, the primary motivation for coming to Christ is to be delivered from something and not necessarily sin. We just need to have a victory. We need to be we need to overcome something, whether it's a marital problem or some deficiency we have within ourselves, whether it's laziness, whatever it might be. We, we have some need that we have to we come to the Lord for that we're trying to overcome. And he gives us this great breakthrough and deliverance. But we never have that moment where we recognize what is ours. And you need to own your sin. In order to be a believer and to be a redeemed believer, there is a moment in time of repentance. There is no salvation apart from repentance. And that is an awareness, a recognition that I am a sinner. I have sinned. I don't need just deliverance from something bad what happened to me. I need to repent. I need to confess that I am the one. I am to blame. I am corrupted. I am fallen. It is my sin. Do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours. Make no mistake about it. Before Christ, you lived in a sinful mindset, in a sinful way of living. And until we come to the point in time when we repent of that and recognize this is who we are outside of Christ, we cannot truly confess and truly call Him Lord. So He says, do not be conformed to the lusts a lot of times people have this idea that whatever feels right to me is right and that's where we begin to get in trouble and Peter says in your former lust in your ignorance now please understand Peter is not saying these are stupid people because a lot of times in our vernacular, ignorance is, uh, you know, it's used as a pejorative term. And so it gets ranked right up there with calling somebody a name or they're ignorant or they're stupid. Or hey, Peter's not saying they're, they're dumb. He's not saying that they're unintelligent. He's not saying they're stupid. He said they were ignorant. And he uses the term technically to mean they just missed information. They didn't have the information they needed to live the way God wanted them to live. And this is why it's important. Because when you begin to read God's word as your father, he has the right, as we've just said, to prescribe your behavior. And the only way to know what that behavior is, is to be in his word, to spend time with him and to know what behavior he has prescribed. And what he has said is be holy for I am holy. We'll talk about how to do that. Um, I won't say effortlessly, but we'll talk about the natural way that that should come about in just a minute. But understand that he has prescribed, prescribed certain behavior that you may not understand why. And when we live by what we think, if we live by what we feel, if we live by what feels natural, we may well find ourselves living contrary to what God has said. Passions of your former ignorance. Not every inclination of the human nature or mind is, is good or godly. There are some things, many things that come as a natural response or impulse or desire that in fact are wrong for people. 
And yet they're very natural, we would say. You think, what, what, what could be wrong with that? And then we try, if we are not very careful, we, we will try to justify why God has said certain things that, that really we don't understand why. And we come back to God has said so. And that ought to be enough. But for many people, particularly and even people in the church today, that's not enough. I've had church people tell me, I understand thou shalt not steal. That makes sense. That hurts other people. I understand thou shalt not kill. Kill. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That harms a relationship. I understand all those things. What I cannot understand is, is when you stand up there and say that the Bible says having intimate relations outside of marriage is wrong. Why? I, I don't understand that. It's not hurting anybody. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, you could talk about the social ills and, you know, premarital births and all that. But even then they would say, well, so? You have a baby out of wedlock. Is it no less a baby? And so they, they, they have an answer for everything you say. And here's what we finally come back to. God has said so. Period. That ought to be enough. But for even Christians, it's almost not enough anymore. And God says, you know, you can't have intimate relations with the same gender. No. Why? Not hurting anybody. The love is genuine. The love is real. It's not hurting anybody. Why would God preclude that? You want to know the truth? I don't know. I do know this. God has sanctified one man and one woman to be the pillar of society. One man, one woman, husband and wife to raise children and be the, the, the building blocks of a sound society. That, that is God's design. And that is what God honors. That's what He commands. Anything else other than that, He condemns. Why? I, I don't know all the reasons. I just know this. God has said so. And that is enough, you would think. But it's simply not anymore. For the culture around us, and, and if you, you wonder where we're going... I'll, I'll just tell you where we're going. A couple of weeks ago, Al Mohler on his daily briefing, which is his blog he does every day. Um, you can sign up and be on his website. He has some great insight into news from a Christian perspective. He reported on this. Uh, Harvard Law School is now debating and discussing the legal recognition and legitimacy of, quote, polyamorous relationships. What's a polyamorous relationship? I'm glad you asked. We used to call it polygamy. But that's because you're old-fashioned and you're not up with the times because you're kind of bigoted. Because polygamy, by definition, is where a man has multiple wives. Okay? We don't like men having a wife, and we're certainly not going to have a man having more than one woman. That is just bigoted. Okay, you're a sexist because that's just how outdated you are. No, no, it's not polygamy. It's polyamory. Obviously from the word meaning many and to love. It's the idea that in this country, their by rights ought to be and if they have their way, there will be legal recognition and protection 
for multiple of, multiples of people, more than three, at least you have to have three, but it could be up to how many ever you want that will be recognized as married in a polyamorous relationship. This has been hailed as the latest and greatest of, of society coming, and it's coming from no less than Harvard University, which has always been on sort of the cutting edge of what you see eventually happening and working itself out in Springfield, Missouri. Of course, the great irony is 1633, they started Harvard College so that the settlers would not have uneducated pastors. You know, the other interesting thing about Harvard, their latest dean of chaplains is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He is the dean of chaplains at Harvard University, a historically ministry college, and doesn't believe in God. He just believes in getting people work together. There is something bad wrong with our society when we are going to recognize polyamorous relationships and have a group of people recognized as a marital unit and protected by the law as such. But that is coming. Listen to what Justice Roberts said. When they made the decision, he had a dissenting opinion. In other words, he did not agree with the majority opinion when they made the decision to legalize same-sex marriage. This is what Judge Roberts said. The decision regarding the number of individuals involved will be a much smaller decision than the genders involved. And he went on to say, if we do this, or since we have done this, it will not be long and we'll be hearing the case about multiple partners recognized in marriage. And it will happen. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, I mean, you know, two's good, three, four, you know, it's a party. I mean, it might be more interesting. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is God has precluded it. What's wrong with that is it goes outside of the design of the sovereign father. And he has the right by by purpose of who he is or by the nature of who he is, he has the right to prescribe what is good and right behavior, what is right and what is wrong. And sometimes it comes down to God has said it's wrong. So you know what? It's wrong. Peter says, these are your natural desires. And here's what we need to understand. Most people, I'm convinced, most people that go down this road actually believe that this is good. Okay, I, there are some, I think, that are just corrupt and, you know, want to be uh, perverted or whatever, and, and they're trying to undermine society. There are some of those, but most of the people involved in these kind of movements are not setting out, well, I just want to be as immoral as I can possibly be. No, they actually believe this is good. And Peter acknowledges that. Don't be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours, when you lived in ignorance. The point is, they were natural to you. That's just, you know, whatever you can come up with. And we've tried to warn people. Sometimes it seems like we have failed to get the word out. 
And Peter's talking about ignorance when they didn't have the knowledge of how God intended them to live. I saw a headline that caught my attention um, on Yahoo or wherever I was at on, on the uh, worldwide, you know, crazy web. And the, the headline was this, swearing, which is usually regarded as simply lazy language or an abusive lapse in civility. But Emma Byrne shows in her book, Swearing is Good for You, The Amazing Science of Bad Language. That new research reveals that profanity has many positive virtues. From promoting trust and teamwork at the office space to increasing our tolerance of pain. Uh, this is pure ignorance. Okay. Now, I don't mean she's a stupid person. What I'm saying is this, this is ignorant of what God has to say about profanity and foul language. I mean, doesn't Paul, uh, Paul says, let no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth. No coarse jesting over and over. The Bible talks about this idea that what just naturally flows out of your mouth is not always honoring to God. In fact, God has said, don't do it. Well, you think, well, how did she come up with this idea? Well, here's where we, we this is how far right we go when we live in ignorance. Okay. Uh, the main reason, the, the article goes on to say, that, that we can show that this is good for humanity is because chimpanzees do it. Now, you didn't know a chimpanzee could cuss, but they have discovered that they do. Now, I know they're very smart, and they have the power of communicating. But chimpanzees do not associate moral value to certain words the way humans do. The comparison to human speaking and the hoots and hollers of a chimpanzee is absurdity. But that is what we look to to say, you know, this is probably good for us too. If we, now, how in the world do you, you know a chimpanzee's cussing rather than just, you know, wanting a banana? I have no idea. But studies have shown that, that it, you know, enhances uh, camaraderie in the workplace. Not if, you, not if you work at a church, it doesn't. I can... Not from experience, but I can tell you. You know, it, it, it makes people believe in you more, she was saying. It makes people more confident in you if you just cuss a little. There's a great, there's a great SpongeBob episode where SpongeBob reads some cuss words in graffiti. And, and Patrick, his starfish friend, says, yeah, those just make your speech more interesting. You could sprinkle them in kind of wherever you're talking. And it makes your speech more interesting. So SpongeBob goes around doing that, just sprinkling dirty words in his speech. <laughs> it's quite funny, the shocking people. Let me tell you something. Christians ought to have a stance on the way we talk. There ought to be a difference in your language and your vocabulary than everybody else down at the office. And if you're engaging and you just let her fly Monday through Saturday, and somehow when you walk through those doors and come in here around God's people, all of a sudden half your vocabulary disappears. They said there's something wrong with your relationship with your father if the way you talk isn't the way he says you ought to be talking. He cares about what you have to say and the way in which you say it. And, and the second thing is chimpanzees do a lot of things that are not good for humans. Yeah, have you ever been to the zoo? Go to the chimp cage. They will throw stuff at you that you would rather not even touch. I'm not sure that's a good idea for humans. The science, the lady says so. You know, there was a, a study a while back... Um, it's been about a year and a half ago or so. There was a big to-do made because at the zoo, 
there were two male penguins raising an egg together, thus proving that it's quite natural and acceptable for couples of the same sex to be married because after all, penguins mate for life. This is how far we've come. Now, how is it you think, how does that happen? That happens when you live in ignorance. Am I saying the rest of society, everybody around us is evil and bad and they're stupid and they're not? No, no, I'm saying they're ignorant. And I mean the term technically, they lack the information. They lack a relationship with the Christ to do anything with the information in the first place. But they also, they just, they haven't read the word. There ought to be something different about us. There's a lot of things that the sinful world does that wouldn't be beneficial. You know, and what they don't tell you in, in, in Disney and in, in the Lion King. Well, in a pride of lions, one male sires the whole herd. I'm not anxious for that in humanity because I'm not that strong. Do you think we ought to adopt that? Well, no, well the lions do it, it's natural. Really? But that's what we've come to. There are a lot of things that chimpanzees probably do. But even in church, people are waffling on this. I, I watched or I saw a website or a Facebook page of a guy um, a couple of weeks ago who is just ranting and raving about all the ills going on around us, all the lifestyles going on around us being applauded, all these ills of our society and how churches without backbone are backing down and the church needs to rise up because we owe, you know, we owe allegiance to one God, one Father. And then he starts letting fly with all kinds of, you know, the seasoning words and explicatives. I mean, what happened to that? Like you just undermined everything you just said because you're a potty mouth. There ought to be a difference in the way we talk. God cares about that. Crudeness, vulgarity, unwholesome speech offend your father. And we need to stop it. Because God is the father to his children. And here's the key. We shall be holy because He is holy. You know how that happens? Not by a list of do's and don'ts, although we, are, we have behavior that's prohibited and some that is prescribed. We follow those. But you know how, how you really become holy? You just begin to look and sound like your Father. It happens quite naturally. Being holy is not a job to which you set your nose. You know, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone, my shoulder to the wheel, and I'm going to be holy. No, here's what you do. Spend time with your Father, and you will naturally begin to reflect His holiness. That is just the way it happens. There are people who have children, you would never guess, that are theirs. I mean, some people have children, and, and both the mother and father have straight, rather straight, darkish hair, and then all of a sudden they have a child that has this red hair out, like kind of nowhere. Some of you know her. She's my daughter-in-law. Like, where did you come from? But you think, but then you hang around her a little bit, and for me anyway, you start seeing little Jeff in her mannerisms. And the way she talks and some of the things she says. And sometimes even just the, the eyebrow thing and the look on her eye. I'm like, okay, now I know whose child you are. But sometimes, you know, parents have children don't look anything like them. Now, some of us have children, even grandchildren, that may not even be the same gender, that look just like they do. Those are the ones you got to feel sorry for. 
I was picking up a prescription at Family Pharmacy in Willard back when Hayden was a senior in high school. And when I stepped to the counter, the very helpful young man said, Good afternoon. To which, of course, I replied, I suppose, but do you wish me a good afternoon or mean that it's a good afternoon whether I want it or not? Or do you feel this is a good afternoon or that it's an afternoon on which to be good? And he, it's a quote from Lord of the Rings, by the way. Uh, I thought I was terribly clever. And before I even finished with half of that, I said, I suppose, but do you wish, mean to wish me a good morning? He said, are you Hayden's dad? I said, he said, uh, I said, yes. He said, I knew it. He said, I knew it. You act just like him. He said, all right, I guess he kind of acts just like you. I'm sure he was well pleased. But how does that happen? Now, some of it obviously is genetics where a child looks. It's just genetically. But the nuances and voice inflections and sort of their speech patterns, sometimes down to the way a child walks. You know how that happens? They begin to look like their fathers or their mothers. They begin to talk the way mom and dad talk. They begin to talk and, and think. They, they have little, the way of saying things, their, their cadence when they speak is so much like their dad. You think, you're just like your dad. The same is true spiritually. That's what should be happening with our Heavenly Father. We develop that over time. When Paul says, have the mind of Christ, how do you have the mind of Christ? Spend time with Him. You want to begin to be holy? Reflect God's holiness because you have none of your own. So just reflect God's holiness. That only happens by spending time with your Father. You ever ask somebody how they're doing just as you're out in public or whatever, you're checking out, you say, how you doing? Now, if somebody says, I'm all right, you, you kind of feel sorry for them, feel like you need to pray for them. But what if somebody says to you when you say, how you doing? And they say this, I'm blessed. What do you immediately begin to suspect? That they're a believer. Why? Because blessing is the vernacular of God. God is a blesser. And when somebody says, I am blessed, to me, I begin to wonder, this may be a brother or sister in Christ. And very often they are because it is Christian people who understand how blessed we are. I was watching a, a, a video of a, of a guy who has a YouTube channel. And I think it's called Kentucky Ballistics. And this young man was shooting a, a 50 caliber, which is a big gun, by the way, a rifle. And it blew up in his face, basically. The chamber just blew up. Uh, part of it, a big part of it, came back and hit him in, in the face and then lacerated his neck, went into his chest and punctured his lung and it cut his uh, jugular on the way down. Part of the gun came down and made his this figure look like a W, he said. Um, and so his father was there. And as he's telling this story, he talks about, and he's, this is the language he's using. Now notice, he's not using vulgarities. He's not using uh, explicatives, a worldly language. And when he says we got in the truck, he said we, uh, we hightailed it to the, to the hospital. You know, he could have said a lot of other things. During this whole thing, he's talking about I was blessed that my father was filming. I was preserved by grace, he talks about. He said I was given 
a thumb for a reason. <laughs> what his father made him do is take his thumb and poke it in his neck, which is the only thing that kept him from dying and bleeding to death away in the hospital. But he talks about his stay in the hospital. And before they went in to do surgery to repair all this stuff, he says, I had my father come in and pray with me. Now, when somebody uses, but he never said, hey, I'm a Christian, by the way. And you know why? I know he's a Christian and he didn't ever say that because you could tell he was a Christian by the language he used and the things that were important to him in life. And you just heard in the way he spoke God words. I have a plan and a purpose or I wouldn't be here. I was preserved and protected. I was blessed. Those are God words. He could have said a lot of ugly things about what just happened. And it's on video. It's pretty disturbing. But he could have said a lot of ugly things. But he used those, that kind of language. And something about him just tells me that he is a believer. Is God your father this morning? If God is your father, do you look like him? Are you reflecting his holiness? I mean, is it just something that comes natural to you? I, uh, not by my nature, but because I have been with Christ and I've spent time with His Word and time in prayer, I am becoming, just by who I am, more and more selfless. Are you a gentle person? Are you harsh and angry and hateful? If He's your Father, look like Him. What are your words you use? out in public and at work. When you're around people who are not believers and they're saying all manner of stuff, what do your words add to the conversation? Are they words of holiness? Do they reflect your father's vocabulary? As we go through this life, if God is our father, we should look like him. We should sound like him. There is a blessedness in that. And here's the thing. It's not an onerous task. Oh my goodness, I have to get up and try to be holy and I know I'm going to fail today anyway. So, oh, you know, I, just, I, I dread the day because I'm... No, you just get up, spend time with the Lord, and then just reflect Him. We're called to be holy because He is holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your goodness and grace. Father, help us as your children to be a reflection of who you are. Father, if we could only learn to think in the mind of Christ, we could speak the words we find in your word and the words that we hear from your throne of grace. We could speak reconciliation and grace love, compassion to other people. And Father, even as believers, sometimes we even justify it. In the name of faith, we speak condemnation and hatred and unforgiveness. That's not the language you use, Lord. Father, too often your children are eager to carry signs that talk about all the things you hate that you so often talk about the ways in which you love. You pour out your grace and compassion on those who live in ignorance and Father, help us not to be like the world and pour forth judgment. Lord, help us to speak 
as you would speak. Father, help us to reflect your holiness. Not because it's a task or a chore, but just because it comes naturally because we spend so much time with you. Lord, we ask these things in the name above all names. In the name